Hello and welcome to another episode of our revolutionary podcast. This is Pastor Tito Sotolongo, your podcast pastor and pastor at Tabernacle of Church here in Tampa, Florida. And my job is to help you find faith in Christ and learn how to follow through with your life. And today is a unique day because this week we are celebrating Easter and it's unique because every single church is just as empty as the tomb on Easter Sunday, on the very first Easter. In fact, let me correct that. Every church building is just as empty as the tomb that Jesus left behind when he rose from the dead. But you know what? The church isn't canceled. Church services got canceled this year because of coronavirus and stuff. The church services got canceled, but the church was not canceled. In fact, yo, death was canceled on Easter Sunday. And so I want to be able to share with you a little bit of that today regarding our approach. Now, because Jesus rose from the dead, there are so many implications because of that amazing reality. And I just want to be able to focus on that right now. And so the big theme of the day today is going to be not just death, but how we deal with death after Jesus rose from the dead. So let's look at two very interesting passages on Easter. I know normally, you know, the, the Gospels get all the love on Easter, on Easter Sunday, which is, hey, rightfully so. But we're going to use a text from Genesis through Revelation to see how God uh, dealt with death. So here we go. It's very obvious that death plays an important part in the Easter story. And I know I don't know everybody that's watching me right now on the other side of the screen, but I do know this of you because it's normal. All right? This is a part of all of us that you and I both agree and we both share this one sentiment when it comes to death. That death is intriguing. Let's be honest. There is something, there is an element of death that is intriguing. Right? This is why we have thriller novels and thriller movies, right? That we like to watch those things and, and wonder and guess, man, how is that hero, how is that person going to get out of this predicament when it looks like they're about to die and it's all going to be said and done and then, man, they make it up, right? That's exciting. That part of death is exciting. It's intriguing. This is why we have things called thrill rides, right? Me and my family, we have Disney passes and because we live here in Florida. And obviously with what we're dealing with and going through, obviously we're missing our Disney. But, you know, we, we do those things. And, and here in Bush Gardens, right, we have that in Tampa as well. I love Bush Gardens. Grew up there. And, and me and Alicia, my wife, we love going on roller coasters together. And I'm not going to lie. There's a part of me that is afraid of heights. Okay? It just is. But why do I put myself through the stress of going on a roller coaster, going really high, really fast? Why? Because there is that element of death that we're getting really close to death and is a little dangerous and that's what makes it exciting, right? That's why you have done certain things. That's why I've done certain things. We've broken rules and trying to be a little sneaky, right? Because there is that element of danger, right? And that's death there, the element of danger that is intriguing, right? This is why we have haunted houses and all those things. There's an element of death that's intriguing. Now, there's a few things I haven't done yet and I don't know if I'm going to do, i.e. jumping off or jumping out of a plane, bungee jumping, Mm -hmm. Haven't done one of those like rocket shoot, you know, that they shoot you out, not of a rocket, but they shoot you out of uh, like those bungee cords and that ball. People pass out on America's Find Some Videos. Those are great. Right? There's an element of death that's intriguing, but this part, there's no fun about this part of death, and it's this that death is inevitable. Now, this part isn't fun at all, right? And a lot of people struggle with this part. Death is inevitable. 
Now, there are certain things that you and I can do to increase the chances that we can, you know, postpone it, right? There's, this is why we're doing this, in fact. Why are we doing virtual services? Why are we trying to do social distancing six feet apart, you know, bathing ourselves in hand sanitizer and Lysol? Why? Because we're trying to prevent death. We know that if we do these things, it'll increase the chances that we won't get sick and die. Right? This is why we take precautions and why we do so many things, why we put our safety belt on, why we try to exercise and eat better. Now, none of those things, let's be honest, none of those things are guaranteed to prevent death, but they will increase the chances that death might be prolonged. Right? It's not guaranteed, but it does increase our chances that death can be prolonged. But there is nothing that we can do, nothing that we can do that can increase the chances that we can postpone it or prevent it forever. That's the part of death that's hard to wrestle with. That's why it's hard to go to funerals or why some people wonder and worry about when and if and how they're going to die. Because we know deep down inside, regardless of what you believe or not, when it comes to God, faith, and the Bible, we all know this right here, that death is inevitable. Now, what if I told you that though we cannot increase the chances of preventing it, but what if I told you that there was a way that we can prevent two forms of death guaranteed? Now, yeah, I know I'm not crazy. I know I said two forms of death because, in fact, there is more than just that death that we're talking about, the death of this body. And the Easter story shows us and talks about all of those forms of death and how we can avoid two out of the three deaths. Now, before we open the Bible, I just want to bring one comment to you, or at least I want to explain one thing. Because when it comes to God and when it comes to the Bible here, that there is a consistent definition of death in the Bible. And that's amazing because, see, the Bible was not written by one person. In fact, it was written by multiple people, over 40 different authors, about 1,400 years between the first one and the last one that was written. And there's something unique about all of those together, that the definition of death does not change. See, death, in the Bible, death is equal to separation. All right? and, and you and I can agree with that, right? To die is to be separated from your loved ones, to be separated from this world. There's no coming back from that, right? Well, we'll see. There's no coming back from that, right? It's, it just is. There's a separation there. And so we're going to see that continuation with all these three forms of death. Because, in fact, the Bible talks about three forms of death. There's the spiritual death, physical death, and then the second death. And I know that sounds like a weird definition. Wait, why is the third definition of death called the second death? I got you. Don't worry. All right. So let's look at the first one. Because, in fact, we're going to look at one scripture and we're going to look at one point of the Bible that talks about those first two deaths. Spiritual and physical. So let's read in the book of Genesis... Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Let's read this one together. And the Lord God commanded the man that you are free to eat from any of the tree of the garden. So we have the first command, but then we also have the first mention of death in the same part at the beginning. He says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day, on that day means that something certainly be guaranteed. Don't doubt me because on that day, 100% this is guaranteed going to happen. On that day, you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
first time the word death is there mentioned in the scriptures, and it's connected to this form of disobedience. Now, if you've read the story, or if you've been to church, or you remember Sunday school, you know how the story ends. Adam and Eve did not obey that command. It's like, you know, you've ever been told by your parents, don't do that. It's then all, it's all you think about is just do that. Well, they did it. And because of that, death entered the world. But there's two forms of death that God was talking about right here. Because we know that on that day, did they die literally, physically, instantly? No, they didn't. We know, we read the story, they, they have a conversation with God in the next chapter. In fact, the Bible says they live for another 900 years, regardless if you believe that or not, but just follow with me. So, no matter what, right, they said they didn't die instantly. So, what was God talking about? Well, see, here he was mentioning physical death, because here we see that with Adam and Eve and with everyone else. Because eventually Adam and Eve and everybody else who's ever lived in existence, whoever's been born, eventually has died. Right Now, this physical death that happened, God said when this happened, then this is going to start to happen on that day, be certain. See, what happened was is that they didn't die instantly, but they began to die. And physical death, this physical death that we're talking about, is the separation of your soul from your body. Now this, a lot of religions agree on this, and even people who don't believe in God believe in this. You know, Carl Sagan, a famous atheist, used to say that when we die... Our souls, our essence joins the cosmos, right? There's a part of us that is separates from this body that goes into somewhere else. A lot of religions talk about that. Christianity talks about that, right? When you die, your body stays here on the ground, but then your soul gets to go to heaven, gets to go to hell, gets to be with God. See, that's physical death. The physical death is when you die, there's a separation of your soul from your body. And so what happened with Adam and Eve is the same thing that happens when you pluck a, a, a fruit from a tree, right? I, let's say I had an apple, and I go and I take the apple and pluck it, right? Immediately, it doesn't rot instantly, right? But immediately, the apple begins to die at a faster rate than if I would have left it there. Why? Because it's disconnected. It is separated from its source. Same thing if you unplug your Apple iPhones or your Android. Ain't no shame here, okay? Either one. And so both of those, if you unplug your phone, what happens? Your phone doesn't die instantly, right? What happens? It begins to die. Well, the second you and I are born, we begin to die. And that's that physical death that we will encounter that is guaranteed. That's that one that no one can avoid. In fact, the scripture says everyone is destined to die at least once. And that's the physical death. But then the spiritual death is the other one because he says when you eat from this tree on that day, you will die. There is something about you, Adam, that is going to die, and that died instantly. And that's the spiritual death, the second one that I'm talking about. Spiritual death is separation from God. Now, that happened instantly. In fact, you and I, when we're born, that part of us is dead. See, here when Adam ate and when Adam and Eve ate from that tree, a part of them died instantly. Again, think of your phone again. It's one thing for me to disconnect your phone from the wall, right? It begins to die slowly. Well, what happens if I take the battery out of your phone? It dies instantly, right? It doesn't matter if that battery had 100% life. If I take the battery out, instantly your phone dies. Same thing with you. Imagine if you, right, something happens and your heart gets ripped from your chest. Instant death, right? That's what it is. And there's something, there's an element of the part of Adam and Eve that was ripped from their connection with God, and that's what it was. It died instantly. And now, you and I, we're all born with that default 
disconnection. In fact, this is why the scriptures say that you and I, and Paul talks about this, that we are all dead in our sins. We might be alive, we might be breathing and blood flowing, but we are dead in our sins. Now, the good news is, is that, yes, on that day, they died. But in the next chapter, God says, listen, but there's going to come a day when someone else is going to come, and he, he will, on that day, do something to reverse death, do something to overcome death. And throughout the scriptures, throughout Genesis, beginning generations, all, the, all throughout the generations, God would repeat that message, repeat that message. Then the prophets would come and they would point to that one day and they would speak of that time. And then came Jesus. And that was the day that Jesus came and he died on the cross. And that day was the one day that it was being prophesied that something would happen that would reverse the curse from this moment. And not only was Jesus' resurrection from the dead, not only is his resurrection help us to not fear the physical death, because we're still going to die. That's physical death. But the resurrection actually helps us to know that there is, it's going to be okay in the end because of that spiritual death has been reversed. We were brought back to life. That's what spiritual death is. That connection has been restored. The battery replaced. And that battery is coming from God. That connection to the source of life. And that helps us to avoid that other death. The third one that I was talking about that's in the Bible. And that's called the second death. Let me show you where that comes from. And that's in the last book of the Bible. It's the one I'm going to focus on. This is Revelation chapter 20 verse 14. This talks about the end of the world. And when all things are said and done... Look what happens here. He says, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Now, this is talking about that final judgment, right? The second death is something that when you and I die, this, this is a second death that we can encounter. Now, the thing about the second death that you need to understand is this is judgment. This is a good day. All right. In fact, on this day, God is going to judge sin, death, devil, every, all those demons. Justice will finally come. And God says, listen, things will happen and they're happening for a purpose and for a reason. But there's going to come a day, mark it, that justice will be done. And the second death was meant for the, the devil and demons, sin and hell, all of it. But unfortunately, others are going to occupy it as well. In the next chapter it talks about those who rejected the gospel, those who rejected their belief in God, will also go here. And I know this is when I, this is right here where I'm going to probably bother a lot of you because, see, that's why I don't believe in God. See, why would a loving God, why would a loving God send people to help? And that's the part that I want you to understand, that he doesn't. He doesn't. See, the, the C.S. Lewis used to say there's two types of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those that God would say to them, thy will be done. See, when it comes to us, God, I want you to understand this about the second death, that there is no second chances. There is no second chances at the second death. There's none. Because God is a loving God and a just God, there is no second chance. Because if there was a second chance to be able to gain eternal life, then, then guess what? To be fair, that means that there would have to be a second chance that you could lose it. But we can't. Because God is fair. God is just. In fact, this is how fair God is, that we see that Paul talks about this in Romans that everyone is without excuse, yet God will judge us based on how we each individually respond to the gospel. God will only judge us based on how we will respond to the Spirit of the Lord. Listen, there were people on the other side of the world who died when Jesus died. 
There were people on the other side of the world who still died and they were alive and they didn't know that Jesus rose from the dead. Have you thought about that? What about those people? Well, we know that God is a just God and he only judges people based on how they respond to what they've received. Now, if you're listening to me, that's good news for you. That's good news for you. But I need you to understand this thing about the second death. This is a good day for many, but it's not going to be a good day for a lot. There are no second chances in that second death. But here's the beautiful part about this, because here we know that death itself is going to be handled once and for all. And this is where the Apostle Paul goes, and, and he's writing to the church in Corinthians, the first letter, where they had a lot of questions about the end times, about the end of the world, because they were facing death. You know, the early church was under threat of death. They were being persecuted and hunted. And they said, you know, Paul, help us. Well, how do we deal with death here? What's going to happen to us when we die? And so he said this amazing sentence that I want to share with you because this is the mark. This is the difference between believers in Christ and anyone else. And Paul shares this amazing testimony here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 55. And he says this. See, he's talking about the end, pointing to what Revelation was talking about. When all things are said and done and that we are raised to new life in Christ after our first death, at the end of the world, look what he says, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So I love these questions. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Where is your sting? See, the thing about death is that this moment, the second Jesus rose from the dead... Death began to die. The second Jesus rose from the dead, death began to die. And that's amazing. So here he says, look, death, you're still around. At the end, you're going to be judged. But where's your sting? Where is your power now? Because before, death was all powerful. And we could not prevent that physical death. And we, you and I, could not reverse that spiritual death. And if we are born spiritually dead, we will encounter that second death permanent, eternal separation from God called the second death. But now those who believe in Christ, we have a different attitude towards death. We have a different perspective towards death. Because when we say death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? That makes me think of bees. Now, I'm pretty sure some of you have heard of this misconception. Well, this that's not a misconception, but there is a misconception that every bee, when it stings, right, and the stinger pops off, that every bee dies. That's not real, okay? That's not true. It only happens to honeybees because honeybees have a very jagged edge on their stingers. Now, I, this actually happened uh, this week, actually. I remember we were all outside and the kids were playing and there was a bee flying around them. And the kids went running. They were like, oh, it's a bee, it's a bee, it's a bee. They started running because they didn't want to get stung. Well, let's say, imagine, I felt super manly at that moment. I didn't do this. Let's just pretend. All right, I felt super manly, and I see that bee, and I catch that bee with my hand, and I hold it in my hand until I feel it sting me. And the second it stings me, I let it go. What would happen if the bee was still flying around my boys? You know what I would tell them? I was like, hey, listen, listen. That bee is not going to hurt you anymore. That bee can only buzz. That bee can only make sounds. That's it. All it can do is fly. It can't hurt you anymore. Well, Dad, how do you know that? Let me show you my hand. And I can show them the stinger. Because if that stinger is in my hand, it's not on that bee. And that bee might buzz, but it can't touch you. It can't hurt you. You don't have to fear that bee. See, that's what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus on the cross, he took the full strike of death. And he got it and he swallowed it up. 
and the second, and now he lives. And so even though right now, you and I might have to still deal with death. We're still dealing with the ramifications of death, which is comes from sin, death, sin, disease, all of these things. We might still have to deal with it. Death is still present, but it is no longer all-powerful because our God has removed that stinger. And do you know why honeybees die when the stinger gets separated from them? Because the stinger is connected. This is kind of disgusting. The stinger is actually connected to their abdomen. And so when the stinger is separated from the bee, in essence, the bee is now disemboweled. And it, it might fly around for a little bit, but it's, gonna, it's starting to die. See, that's what happened on the cross. When Jesus rose from the dead, he took that sting and he took it with the nails in his hands and feet. And now death might still be around. It still might be present, but it is dying. It is powerless. It is no longer all powerful. And that's why Paul and all the Gospels, they say that not even death itself can separate us from the love of God. Death and sin and the devil, when you are restored back to God spiritually, death cannot undo that spiritual death anymore. Death cannot undo that spiritual life. And even if we have to face death itself, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To die is gain. And so I love that about it. And so even death, is since death couldn't hold Jesus down, Death could not hold Jesus down in the grave. That means that death can no longer, can no longer hold us back from experiencing the promises of God. You and I still might have to deal with death. That's true. We might still have to deal with death, but we are no longer defined by it. We might still have to deal with death, but we are not defined by it any longer. That is the attitude that we have as believers. We do not have to. We might not still have to deal with it. But we are not defined by it. We are no longer intimidated by it. That is the hope that we have in Jesus. And that's what Easter is all about. In fact, that is what caused the first church to go viral. I'm going to read this to you. I want you to see this. Okay? Christianity went viral in the first century because early believers had a real encounter with the risen Jesus. I want you to understand that, okay? Historians and skeptics and everybody today will tell you that Christianity would not have survived the first 300 years if it wasn't for an explosion of believers. And how was it an explosion? There was no army. They never went around conquering people and forcing people to believe. It, that didn't happen. How were they able to take on the onslaught of the Jewish temple and the Roman army? How were they able to do that and still grow and explode throughout the known world? The church went viral. Christianity went viral because those people had a real encounter with the risen Jesus. You know what's amazing about that first 300 years? There was no Bible. There was no Bible in those first 300 years. So how could a faith grow without a book? Because the foundation of their faith, just like ours today, is not a book. There was no book then. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it was their encounter with the risen Christ. In fact, it's the resurrection that caused everyone to document the life of Jesus and why we have the New Testament. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, no one would have written anything about Jesus. He just would have been some other dude. But because he wasn't some other dude, they documented his stories. They documented his life, and they shared that life. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus not only gave us the New Testament, but it's valid you know, it gives validity to everything in the Old Testament. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we can be certain that that second death is real. 
Because of the resurrection. That's why, and that's why this went viral. That's why we're still talking about Jesus today. Because real people had a real encounter with the risen Jesus. The Easter story impacted the early church and it still impacts lives today because it addresses our emptiness inside. That's what that spiritual death that I was talking about. You, you probably didn't know that's what it was, but that's what that was. How many times have you and I ever tried to do something because we just felt so dead inside that we just wanted to feel alive, even for a moment. But the problem is that feeling goes away, right? The feeling eventually goes away because there's something deep down inside that doesn't fill the void because that's spiritual death. That's the connection that only God can fill. But see, that's what's so amazing and so powerful about the Easter story is that when Jesus rose from the grave, he gave us a gift. You know what it was? An empty tomb. And here's what the empty tomb speaks of and reminds us, that the tomb is still empty, so your life doesn't have to be. That's what the Easter story is all about. Your life, okay, your life doesn't have to be empty any longer because the tomb is still empty. Because the tomb is empty, your life doesn't have to be. You don't have to worry about trying to fill it with anything else because it wasn't made for that. You were only made, that emptiness, that part of you was only designed to be filled by and with the love of God. And so, and the, and the love of God is willing to empty your life of all of the things that's trying to fill it. Right now, your, your mind and your heart's probably filled with insecurity or anxiety and fear and worry and so much. Well, that's not, you weren't designed to be filled with that. You were designed to be filled with the hope and the peace and the love and the presence and the power of your God. And because the tomb is still empty, and it's empty because Jesus is alive, your life doesn't have to be, and your life can be different today. That is the gift that we have. That is right there. Because of the empty tomb is why so many people believe, why so many of those early Christians faced death and never flinched. Many of them were martyred and murdered. For, the, for what? Because they believed that somebody came back from the dead and that person forgave them of their sins and filled their lives and they would never go against, they would never go against this God who had given them so much. In fact, that's what the Apostle John, that's why John was one of the many who documented the life of Jesus after. Because see, John actually didn't believe in Jesus. There came a time where John didn't believe. In fact, all of the other apostles didn't believe. Every single disciple didn't believe Saturday night and even Sunday morning because they weren't at the tomb waiting for Jesus to come back from the dead. They knew he died and they were scared, wondering if they were next. There were no Christians on Easter Sunday, not on the first one. They all believed that they were wrong and they had wasted their previous three years with this guy who thought he was going to be the Messiah. Yet he rose from the grave. And see, John was one of those who went and saw that empty tomb. And here's what John writes. John writes at the end of his book, John chapter 20, verse 31, John says this, These things are written, these things about the life of Jesus. In fact, he was the, the last gospel out of all of them. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written before. And so he's adding to the story. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God, and that by believing, look at that, you may have life in his name. That by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, I want you all to reimagine your faith. I want you to reimagine Christianity right now. Because so many people just think that, well, being a Christian, 
Being a believer, religion just means trying to stay out of trouble. God gives me his book, God gives me his laws, tells me what to do, what not to do, and so my faith is really just about staying out of trouble. I want you to reimagine that because it's not. Your faith, Jesus didn't die and do all of these things just so you can know what not to do and stay out of trouble and avoid hell so you can go to heaven. He came to give you life. He came to give you life. He came to invite you into a new world, into a new world right now, not just someday, but today. And in this world, you might have to deal with death but you are not defined by it. You might still have to struggle with sin, but you are not defined by your sin because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus for all who believe. You might have to deal with all of this mess, but you are no longer defined by it. That is the life that Jesus invites and wants us to have. Now listen, you and I right now in history, we are living in the time between Easter and the end. That's where we're living right now during the time between Easter and the end. And in that time, Jesus only asks us to do one thing. It's the same thing that really John, all he asked his people to do, every reader was to do one thing. It's believe. You have that life when you believe. Now, I am not asking you to abandon reason. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to abandon reason and you have to believe everything out from the beginning, I'm 100%. I'm not telling you to abandon reason. I'm telling you to apply it. I'm telling you to apply reason. Because that's what John did. Because of the resurrection. In fact, the John and even Paul would say it. said, listen, if there was no resurrection, there's no reason why I am saying what I'm saying. If there was no resurrection, there's no reason that I should be writing these things. If there was no resurrection, there'd be no reason why I'm risking my life to tell his story. So I want you to apply reason because that's what they did. They didn't base their faith on the fact that something was written. They had faith because of who was risen. They saw their best friend, their teacher, their Messiah, murdered, crucified on the cross, and buried. And then they saw him alive again. And because that tomb was empty, their lives were no longer empty. Their lives are forever marked. And all God is asking you today, same thing as really with John. If John was here, this is what he'd be telling you to do. It's what I'm telling you to do. So all you have to do is believe. Believe. Apply reason and believe. And in believe in what? Well, I'll tell you right now. John would expect you to only believe in a few things. He would expect you to believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is real. Believe that he really died. Believe that your need for Jesus is real. To believe also that he really loves you. And believe that he rose from the dead. So that you can have life. And you begin to live when you believe in Jesus. We still got to deal with death. But praise Jesus that we are no longer defined by it or intimidated by it. Right? Your death is dying. We need to be able to celebrate that, have that hope that no matter what is gonna, what is happening right now, man, we know how things are going to end. And so and I love that, that uh, takeaway as well. I want to encourage you. All right, remember, I know we started today talking about how empty the church buildings are. Well, guess what? Your life doesn't have to be empty because the tomb is 
empty. Jesus is alive. And so I really want to encourage you today, reimagine your faith. All right, reimagine your faith. Reimagine what it looks like to follow Jesus. Reimagine what it looks like to believe in Christ. Because it is not just about following rules and be getting out of trouble. It's about learning how to truly live for the first time. And that is honestly the lesson that we have to learn every single day. That's why I encourage you always to be a revolutionary, to revolve your life around Christ. Because the more you do, the more you learn, the more he fills you, the more he removes all the other things that are causing that emptiness. Because the more we revolve our life around Christ, right, the more we learn. I mean, it is a never-ending journey of surprise when we pursue Jesus in this way. So I want to encourage you with that today and, and uh, join us next week as we continue. Well, actually, we're going to do a brand new series on the implications of, all right, now we got this life. Well, how can we continue to unpack this life as we follow Jesus with our lives? And so I want to invite you back. And again, be that revolutionary. Revolve your life around Christ so that he can not only fill you, but also fulfill you and shine his light through you in the darkness. God bless you. See you next week.